Hello, dear listener. Phil here. You're about to listen to episode four of the Jordan Rewind. Naeem and I discuss Michael Jordan's fifth game back after his first retirement back in 1995 when he went with the Bulls into Madison Square Garden against the Knicks, defending Eastern Conference champions, and he dropped a double nickel. Hope you enjoy it. What is good? You are joining us for episode four of the Jordan Rewind. With me is Naeem. How are you, mate? Hello, mate. I'm good. Yourself? Uh, yeah, great. Enjoying a bit of sunny weather for once. <laughs> yes. Yeah. For anybody that's listening to this that doesn't live in the UK, we went through what probably felt like 40 days and 40 oh. nights of rain. Yeah. Um, even though it was May. And um, but we've just had probably five days, maybe even a week of like really nice sunshine. So, you know, when they talk about British weather, they're not lying. One minute you can have awesome weather, next minute it's horrible, and you can't, you, you know, you could go out in t shirt and shorts and you'll end up in a downpour of rain. You just you can't pick it. So, either way, episode four, the Jordan Rewind. This was Naeem's choice. So, remind everybody, what did you pick, Naeem? I went with March 28th, Jordan drops 55 points in Madison Square Garden, stuns the Knicks, shuts up Spike Lee, takes the W. Right, one of my favourites, definitely for me, top five, top five Jordan games of all time. Yeah, no doubt. So when you said it, I was elated to watch (laughs) this again. So I think I mentioned to you that I actually considered not re-watching this game and just doing it off memory because my memories of this game are so vivid. I was so excited at the time of when it actually happened back in 1995 because I was so like overjoyed that Mike was back in the league and so I remember seeing this fifth game back mm-hmm. so to set the scene for anybody you know for our listeners he'd come back against the Pacers and it didn't go smoothly, I think, is is a fair estimation. Then went on to play the Celtics in Boston, final game at Boston Garden, and played pretty well, limited minutes. Um, but that's because the Bulls were absolutely killing the Celtics, yeah. and he had a good game. Then first home game against the Magic at uh, the United Centre, again, stunk it up. Not a great performance, not a great shooting night, but... Everyone was just so happy to have him back. And then the game before this Knicks game was in Atlanta. And I'm sure that you will know, and probably anybody listening to this. So fourth game back, he he dropped 32 and the game winner on the Hawks. Oh man, it was sick. Uh, 18 third quarter points too in that game. Yeah, he did. And also, he must really, really not like Lenny Wilkins. (laughs) Really, I don't know what Mike had in for him. I don't know. He, he, he must have taken something personally. We know but, what it, um, I think I might know what it was. Um, <laughs> he always it wasn't it was no genuine beef. He loved Lenny. What he respected Lenny Wilkins, but he, Jordan always said uh, Wilkins always played him straight up one on one. So he had to punish him for it. So he never doubled him. He, whether it was Elo or you know when it were the Cleveland days or it was Steve Smith. 
double Atlantic. So, will Lenny Wilkins refuse to double team me? So, I had to make him pay for that. <laughs> so, uh, in that fourth game back, he made them pay because Steve <laughs> Smith, yeah, was left out on an island by himself. Yeah. And Mike came down the full length of the court and, and hit the game winner as time expired. So, which brought us to this game. Game five of the comeback, as you've already said, March the 28th, 1995. So, I did decide to re-watch the game because I loved the game so much. So, uh, as, as is usual on this podcast, we tend to try and tell people where we've watched it. Now, I do have this game actually on DVD twice, I think. But because we try to watch it by YouTube normally so that if anybody's listening to this podcast, they can go and find the same games that we watch. I watch it. um, If you go onto YouTube and you search for a user on there called Classic NBA Games, Mm. I used one uploaded by Classic NBA Games and I was very, very happy because I've watched this game somewhere between, I don't know, Let's say about 10 times. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this is the first time that I've watched it with um, the Chicago commentary team of Tom Gore and Johnny Redker for Johnny Sports Redker. Channel. <laughs> icon. Absolute icon. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I've always enjoyed the blatant homerism of <laughs> Redker when it comes to Chicago Bulls basketball games. I, I love the fact that he cannot hide that he loves the Bulls. Yeah. You know, I, I, sorry, I say in present tense, unfortunately, you know, jo- Johnny Kerr passed away in 2009, but he, he, he never ever hid how much he was rooting for the Bulls and how much he wanted them to succeed. Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> oh, he was a legend. Absolutely legend. Um, I have to say, I... The broadcast I found was by an uploader on YouTube called Cub Prod, and that's about capital C, lowercase UB, capital P, lowercase ROD, or one word. Um, and the, his broadcast was the maybe TNT, and it had uh, Bob Neal, and it reminded me who the guy was earlier on, thanks for that, and Hubie Brown. So that was really good. I love those two commentators. It was slightly edited, so I know that it's not a full uninterrupted broadcast, but it's got all of Jordan's highlights and you see most of the game so Hubie Brown is another legend he's still commenting on NBA games and I think he's approaching 90 now he's a myth one thing that I have to mention whilst we're on the subject of legendary commentators is obviously in the next couple of weeks when we get through to the conference finals of the current playoffs Marv Albert is hanging him up is he? This is yeah. last. Oh man! Yeah. He's announced that these are going to be his final, you know, his final games after the. I don't know whether TNT have got the Eastern Conference or the Western Conference finals this year. I can't remember. But once that coverage com- uh, comes to an end, then there will be no more Marv Albert in the commentary oh, booth. Oh, oh man! And <laughs> and it, and that and that's tough to think about for fans like us because Ooh. he he was. Apart from 98, when he was taking a, a company-enforced hiatus for reasons that we won't get into on this podcast, but he was the commentator for all of Jordan's monumental moments yeah. from 90, 
1990-91 around those times when you know the first championship season mm. through to, to 1997 yeah. you, you know if you were watching a clip of Jordan from the playoffs odds on that Marv was going to be on the, the soundtrack yeah. saying yes and it counts <laughs> um, yes. at, at the end of it so yeah. Yeah, oh, um, hats off to Marv thank yeah. you for all of the awesome commentary that you served during those Jordan years and hope that you have a very happy retirement. I mean, we know that you're not going to listen to this podcast, but we're going to say it anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Good job, Mark. So, so yeah. Um, so, without further ado then, let's get into this game. So, um, tell me what you think. Let's let's start with um, quarter number one. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> really interesting game. Now, like, in general, I find the this entire 1995 uh, part of his career, the 17 games plus 10 playoff games, I find them so fascinating because it, uh, it's just crazy to watch. Like this game, when I watched it again, and like you, I've watched it many times, not as much as you have, but I'm quite familiar with it. He doesn't... It, the 95 comeback Jordan is so different from any other model because A, he was trying to find his game, like we've talked about before, trying to find his his style of play again um, he looked different he was he was bulkier um, I've always thought maybe it's the style of the Jordan 10s making him look a little bit less sleek than he normally does with that big block those big block laces that he wore with the, the black kind of upper mm-hmm. colouring of the tongue or the length of the shorts something was always different with Jordan when I used to watch he just didn't look the same player he didn't move the same way either but this game he comes out uh, and you can see he's fired up. It's MSG. He loves playing there. He loves playing against the Knicks. He loves the fact that Spike Lee's always giving him shit on the sidelines. And uh, he hits, yeah, his first three shots. Comes out. First one's a transition pull-up from Kukoc. Easy. Uh, then it's a little uh, ball fake and just jab step pull-up over Starks. And then it's a little turnaround fadeaway. And, like, right away you think, okay, this is, yeah, this is different. He's He's feeling it right away. And uh, it quickly becomes apparent that the Bulls offense is going to be get the ball to Mike and just let him do his thing um, and before you know it he's lighting up the Knicks like it's 1993 again and it's kind of <laughs> it's difficult to kind of comprehend like when it happened at the time I was 30, uh, 12, 12 years old so I kind of didn't know what to make of it I was part of me was like yeah well of course he did that it's Jordan right and I didn't really understand that he'd, be, he'd been off for that long and the rust and the kind of different style of play when I look back as I got older and I started to comprehend how ridiculous it was that someone could do that at his age with his layoff against a team like the Knicks just suddenly explode. That's that's ridiculous. That's crazy. I mean, yeah, to, to add to that, at that point, I think somebody, might have been Glenn Rice, ah, yeah. went on and a little bit later in the season set the season high for, and I think he scored 56. He did, yeah, right. But, but at this point, Jordan, in his fifth game back, from not playing basketball for what 20 21 months or something like that yep he went into the most famous arena in the world Mm. and dropped 55 points on the defending eastern conference champions yeah (laughs) who does that (laughs) well there's only one person that does it and we're talking about him yeah (laughs) You do take it for granted. You think, well, of course, because of course he could do that. But like I said, man, to the, the degree of like nobody was expecting that. Like you said earlier, the, the inconsistency in this game, the first four games back, he was he was poor first game, 
obviously the first game there was nerves, there was tension. He wasn't himself. He looked completely fine in game two against Boston. Game three, tight home pressure was on for Orlando, who were just a, a terrible matchup for the Bulls anyway. And clearly he was kind of like not comfortable playing at the UC. Then he comes into Madison Square Garden and he's looking like himself again. Like he, there's an interesting quote about from Jordan about this game. Uh, I don't know if it's in that book called For the Love of the Game, My Story, which I've got to my right, right here, or if it's another book. Um, he basically described this game as being played purely off talent. He said he had no rhythm, he had no feel, he had no timing. It was all off talent. So he didn't feel like he was going to have a good game. And he didn't even feel comfortable as he was playing. He was just putting shots up and they were going down. Which is insane to think about it. The fact that he wasn't actually feeling good that game. He was dropping 20 first quarter points. That's that's crazy. I think that, especially after that 92 series against the Knicks, hmm. that Mike's eyes just lit up any time he saw John Starks in front of him. Yeah. And unfortunately for Johnny Boy, he was the primary defender for Mike. Yeah. For, for a lot of this game so I think that like you said the familiarity the fact that he loved um, Madison Square Garden so much he knew the Knicks quite well he'd yeah. had such great success against them uh, in the playoffs over the previous couple of years before he'd retired and success against Starks possibly played into it. but yeah so quarter number one he drops 20 yeah <laughs> which again to put it into context he drops more in one quarter in Madison Square Garden than he did in four quarters <laughs> plus an overtime yeah. in his first game back <laughs> against the Pacers. So I totally agree with you, and I'm sure it's going to be a game that we will discuss at some point in the future of this podcast. But yeah, there were a lot of factors that went into that first game um, in Indiana, and so therefore, it's not, looking back, it's it's not surprising that that happened. But yeah. then because it's not surprising that that happened I think it just makes it even more surprising that this happened yeah <laughs> um, so naturally me me watching this and especially with as I say the Chicago commentary team on mm. Sports Centre um, I say Sports Centre sorry Sports Channel Sports Centre's ESPN Sports <laughs> Channel um, it was awesome <laughs> it was great because they can't believe it that they like you said, you were 12, I was 15 at the time of watching this and not mature enough in the ways of basketball to properly understand in the moment. I enjoyed it. Yeah. I loved it at the time. You know, Mike was back 55 on the Knicks, blah, 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 blah. But it's only as I've got older that I've appreciated just how kind of ridiculous this yeah. performance was. Yeah. Um, to... It, it, and it was it was ridiculous like four uneven games and then comes into to MSG and, and does this but yeah 20 points and Tommy and Johnny were absolutely <laughs> you know they, they were losing their shit over it yeah <laughs> <laughs> um, but before we get off the subject of the first quarter um, and we always go through you know what is our favourite Jordan move of the game but I will point out that Possibly the best move of the game it, um, happened in the first quarter, which was um, Scotty Pippen. Oh my god! On on Charles Smith. Now Charles Smith must have hated any time he saw Scotty Pippen <laughs> and the Bulls in Madison yeah. Square Garden after Game Five of the '93 oh. um, Eastern Conference Finals. But Scotty did it nasty. Oh my god! You know what? I'm going to go on record. I'm going to say that it's the biggest dunk of Pippen's career. 
And oh, mate, I can't agree with that. Not after the night, the ninety-four playoffs that Dunk know, did on you. Yeah, you know what? I know the next one. Uh, the, the Ewing dunk was bigger, as in like the context in that. It's a stupendous dunk. But I'm talking pure physical, athletic. Yeah. Uh, degree of like the the height, the distance, the the challenge, the physical content like that to me is the biggest dunk. Oh man, like <clears throat> pardon me, I've, I've had a bit of a cold, I'm a bit croaky, sorry. But when I saw that, I mean, my days, and it wasn't really talked about. Like we know, it, we know the dunk, and most people know the dunk. But it's not. You don't see that dunk on highlight film. You don't see that dunk on Pippin videos or clip. That's massive. Like he, he takes up one foot from the circle, crams on the guy who's six ten, six eleven, two fifty, two sixty, gets completely annihilated, lands on his, on his wrist, wrist yeah, on his side. My Dayton's gets up and makes the three point play. That dunk is insane. I mean, that that's got that's the better highlight than anything Jordan did that game. I got I got to be honest, Pippen had the game highlight by far. See, I, I it made me smile because this will bring. I think in every single quarter of this game, and this is well, this one in question was the one in the first quarter. Yeah, there was a foul in every one of the quarters of this game that in today's NBA they would have been tossed. Yeah, hundred no. percent. They they would have got a flagrant two. They would have been out of the game. Yeah. And the commentary that I was watching, um, Tom Gore and, and Johnny Kerr, they were like, "He's got to go for this." The, you know, it, it's going to be at least a flagrant one, and possibly he, he's going to go because Charles Smith did wallop Pippin on this play, and yeah. and he ended up um, kind of landing on his wrist, just assessed as a common foul. Yeah. And it's funny you say that because the commentary I, I watched with Bob Neal and Hubie Brown later in the game, uh, Hubie Brown even says that that Knicks team in '95 was not quite the ferocious defensive team of the previous three years. So this is a Knicks team that's a step a step down from that, you know, previous brutal guy, and they're still handing out huge fouls like that, like sending people to the floor. I mean, yeah, like not not a single no flagrants, no technical fouls, nothing, just normal. And '95 was. Starting to trend towards the outlaw and hand checking too. Like the hand check fouls beginning to be called that year, um, and that would increase as the years went on. But even back then, even with the more hand check fouls being called, he still had these violent collisions of people getting sent to the ground and, and a, a regular foul. It was just a different level. But yeah, so that was pro- very probably the move of the game, and yeah. the so the first quarter ends and. Um, Jordan's got 20, so he can't really top that. You know, he's not going to score 20 in every quarter. Well, yeah. Kobe did it, so you know, <laughs> we'll see. But um, so, but the, the second quarter didn't disappoint either. Uh, 15, the second uh, hit, hit three had that had that move that you like that little uh, steal from uh, a poor pass from I think it was Charles, maybe Charles Smith. I can't quite remember. You you threw it straight to him. That's it, and he took it in a dribble. Put that ball up in one hand, brought it back down. Do the I, I didn't see a foul. Not gonna lie, I don't think Starks fouled him. I think it's gave him that call. It was three point play. That's on every highlight video. Slight bump. bump, slight bump. Let's be honest, he's the goat. He gets he gets calls that yeah. He, <laughs> yeah. I, I'll I'll be the first one to put my hand up and say Mike got calls that he shouldn't have. Oh. Um, but that's what comes when you you're Michael Jordan. Yeah. And yeah. There was a little bit of contact. There was definitely a bump because it it managed to send his body going in the opposite direction yeah. but yeah was it enough uh yeah good question either way it was yeah. um just to you know i don't mind ruining it for anyone else yes that is my favorite movie to go 
that 100%. I, lo- I love the fact that, you know, streaking away, starts his trying with all his might to, to catch up with him and he yeah. just uses that bump and then kind of goes up with one hand, brings the ball back yeah. in to secure it and, and finishes. Yeah, just poetry for me. A little bit of poetry. And he always turns towards the crowd and just, just gives him that look. Even if he's just looking down, he just turns. He always does that little face towards the crowd just so they know. He's like, yeah, yeah, you know I'm the man. Oh, you know if it would have been like 96 to 98, he'd have been, I don't know, licking his fingers and yeah. all of that kind of stuff that he did yeah. then. But it probably speaks to the fact that you said he, he was a bit unsure of himself in this one still. Yeah, yeah, which is just great to think about. Yeah, So, but the Knicks, uh, I mean, speaking about the Bulls briefly, it's weird to watch the Bulls team or that Bulls team in 95 because they were so weak on the front line. They were just getting... Just brutalized inside. It's really hard to watch because I agree. Purdue was was a tough guy, but he was he wasn't a force. Uh, although he was a very good offensive rebound to give him this do. Longley was not quite the player he'd become the next year, the next couple of years. Uh, Wellington was a, was only really a shooter, and then he had Corey Blunt, who was actually a, a very good offensive rebounder, but but could never figure out the triangle. Uh, couldn't hold his feet, traveled a lot, so he didn't get the, the playing time. And of course, Kukoc was just. Kukos was a, was a he was a baby deer inside as great as he was let's be honest he was he was a really soft player um, and he was just getting shoved around by Oakley brutal, like blatantly Oakley would blatantly just shove him out of the way and get rebounds and the rest were just <laughs> letting him do it basically yeah I mean I've got that down as a point on my little bit of paper in front of me was just how how much the Bulls missed like a Horace Grant type figure um, on that 94-95 team and how, yeah, they, they were just out-muscled, out-hustled. That, you know, there they, they, they were rebounds that I thought that they could have got that they just weren't really trying hard enough for. And yeah. unfortunately, that is going to happen with... And the, I mean, this is no disrespect to Tony Kukoc because he was an awesome basketball player. He's just been um, announced as, you know, going into the Hall of Fame and, and it's richly deserved. Yeah. But when he's your starting power forward, yeah, you know that you're probably going to have some rebounding issues. Yeah, yeah. And <clears throat> to give him his due, he, he did have nine rebounds in that game, but he only had three points. And also, the rebounds were often the the long rebounds. It wasn't like he was fighting for that ball like, like Dennis would or even Pippen would. Yeah. Like, he's he's a 6'11 guard he's a 2 guard in a 6'11 body or even a point guard in a 6'11 body and it just it was never his style he was never a physical player um, you know he, he obviously grew into his role when he was a lethal player but it's just tough to when you got Kukos going against Charles Smith Mason Oakley Ewing Anthony Bonner it's, you're not going to get any really you know? you're not going to do so no. well no the, the Bulls commentary team on the one that I watched actually made a point of how Q coach was struggling at that point because he'd got used to his role within the team and the offense and having the ball in his hands quite a lot. And because Mike had come back, and then it was him and Pippin that were primarily handling the ball. Yeah. Tony didn't really know how to handle that at that time, especially with him being in the starting unit. And it, as you said, you know, the start of the the 95 96 season he became a lethal sixth man he, he, i mean he won the sixth man of the year in in, yeah. in 96 yeah. um which 
obviously suited him better because when he came in with that second unit, he was the focus. He would have yeah. the ball in his hands and do what he needed to. But it did show up in this game. Like you said, that he, yeah, he got nine rebounds, but they weren't hard-fought nine yeah. rebounds. They were almost ones that kind of either went long or fell into his into his lap. And yeah, and yeah Charles Oakley was just having a bit of a field there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, they, they were never going to call any fouls in New York and Oakley, if he's been guided by Kukoc, they're going to let him manhandle him because that's the way it was back then. You know, Kukoc being a second-year player, European, he's not going to get any respect from the refs. Uh, neither is Longley, neither is Blunt. It's, uh, it's a tough place to get called if you're not that type of physical player. But... Um, yeah, but you're right, Kuko, you can see he was lost often you're passing up shots. That's what he should do, looking around a lot. And uh, Jordan was on him a lot and through that, that, that shortened, well, for Jordan, that shortened season into the playoffs, he was really on Kuko a lot to try and step up because he recognised the talent was there and he, he recognised him as a guy who could score and also the only other guy, uh, aside from Mike, who would take last second shots. He, Jordan respected that about him, but just that inconsistency was tough. I mean, one stat that came up on the halftime show, um, on on the the one that I watched, was at halftime they were making a big deal. Obviously, Jordan had shot fourteen for not fourteen for nineteen from the field in the first half, thirty five points, which at that point, as as we've just discussed, was a season high for him. Even if he didn't score a point in the second half, yeah. it was the most he'd scored in a game that season. But the Bulls had only recorded two assists in the first yeah. half, which was an all-time <laughs> like record low for yeah. a half by the Bulls. And when you think about it, of course it stands to reason because pretty much the team was standing around and going, all right, Mike, let's give you the ball. You isolate, make something happen. Yeah. It's true. Yeah, it's absolutely right. It was a yeah, one of those where I don't say Jordan was was shot jacking, but he was clearly looking for his shot first. He was he was just uh, very aggressive minded, and the Bulls were just giving him the ball, and they weren't really uh, running that triangle smoothly. And um, but like the two assists, I mean, you couldn't even try to get just two assists now. It'd be impossible. Like if you were thinking we're not going to get assists, you wouldn't come up with the numbers that was two. That's crazy. It is crazy. I mean, some people yeah. get jumped on for only having two assists individually in a half. <laughs> never mind, like as a team. And when you consider as well the first basket of the game, which was George, well, the first Bulls basket of the game, which Jordan scored, that was one of the assists. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then the whole, so they they got their first assist within the first minute of the game, and then yeah. they only recorded one over the next twenty three minutes. That is, un- wow, that's unthinkable. <laughs> So, so yeah. So we'll move on to the third quarter. Yeah. Um. Again, fourteen points for Mike. Yeah. No real. I say no real drop off. We've mentioned before. Um. And a little segue for anybody that um is interested. Uh, Naeem and I have done a couple of podcasts on um something called the Weak Side podcast. Uh, we did a couple of podcast on there where we discussed like the Jordan years and things like that and it was as a result of doing that that we um, decided to do this kind of offshoot and and do the Jordan Rewind so by all means go and listen to those if you want to Um, but we'd mentioned in one of those podcasts about Jordan coming out strong on those return games and then as the game went on second half and, and noticeably into the fourth quarter fatiguing yeah yeah, that's exactly right. 
it's it's one thing you notice um, a recurring theme for that '95 comeback, and it would obviously it was a harbinger for the playoffs to come. Is that um, his good? <coughs> excuse me, his conditioning just really wasn't there. Um, it wasn't like he would burn out in the first half. He wasn't he wasn't playing recklessly, you know, 200 miles per hour. But come the second half, uh, shots start falling short. He doesn't have the lift like he did in the first half. He's clearly. You know he's he's expended most of, it, of his energy in that first half, and he gets a few shots blocked, which would happen again in the fourth, which is extremely rare for Mike. Very few people ever consistently blocked his shot or troubled his shot, really. Um, but although he still gets his, his points and uh, he still gets finds a way to score, you can see he's he's a step slower than the first half. He's just not quite got that same uh, that that quick first step. Yeah, I would. I mean, third, he got, he got his only dunk of the game, which wasn't really highlight-worthy. I don't think... It, I, I actually forget sometimes that he did actually get a dunk in this yeah. game. But it, it was... He managed to get basket side of Stark. Someone lobbed <laughs> the ball into him and, and he... You know, he, he managed to dunk it, but it was one of those where he, he's jumping from directly underneath the basketball... The yeah. basket, sorry. And he's still got his baseball legs. So, <laughs> he, 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 people that... You know, listening to this can probably imagine that it wasn't anything to particularly write home about. Um, the two that I, the two baskets I really remember from this quarter, both were three pointers. Um, the first one is he kind of fell down uh, right at the top of the the key, um, and obviously beyond the three point line, managed to kick the ball across to Pippin, um, who then passed it back to him once he went to drive and passed it back out as as Jordan got back to his feet. And, and knocked a three down for that. And I think yeah. that put him over 40 points for the game. Yeah. Um, and yeah. then in the, the the closing seconds of the third, they, they were going for a two for one. Yeah. And so he, he just dribbled the ball down and just pulled up from the three-point line and, and put him on 49 points for the night. <laughs> he drilled. That was a hell of a shot. Actually, that's, that's probably my favourite jump shot because he just comes down and just plants his feet, boom, and just drills it. Like It was it, clearly an unexpected shot because... Was it Mason he shot him? Which is backing up and backing up and backing up. Suddenly he pulls up and drains it. And like when he hits those shots, that's when you know he's 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 really got it going on. That those kind of because he was not necessarily a run to the line and pull up and hit shoot a three type player. No. Uh, very occasionally he would. You know, he did it in game uh, four against the Knicks, ninety three, when he had fifty four points, he had a number of pull up threes. Uh, did a couple few times in uh, game in ninety two, and he had fifty seven at Washington. Sorry, uh, versus Washington. He would run to the line and pull up, but so when he's taking those shots, that's when he's like, "This is a heat check." I'm, I'm feeling it. <clears throat> but yeah, like, yeah, 49 after three, and you're thinking this dude can get 60. This dude might get 70. Yeah, I remember when I watched it the first time. I was there thinking, "Well, sorry, that's a lie." The first time I saw it, my friend had recorded it for me, so I wasn't watching it live. But when I was watching it, I was thinking, like, man, if he. He could have got sixty in this game. Like, if if the pattern had held, and I was and I had have watched it live at that time in '95, I would have been definitely thinking he's going to get sixty. Yeah, I mean, eleven points—that's nothing. You can get that from the foul line. Yeah, hundred percent. And and so by the time that the end of that third quarter rolled round, yeah, you're there thinking, right? So so far he's he's gone 20 15 14 yeah the pattern is decreasing every quarter mm. but yeah even if you put it up 10 or 11 60 is right there right there <laughs> and 
And so, yeah, we moved to the fourth. And now, you've got to point out that he did get rest at the start of the fourth quarter. He did, yeah. So, I think he might have been on the bench for like five minutes of the fourth. Yeah. Um, and then he, he comes in. And as you'd probably imagine at this point, he comes into the game and he knows that he's one point away from 50. Yeah. <laughs> and he knows that with his next basket, he's going to set a Madison Square Garden record for an opponent in that building. Yeah. <laughs> Which, incidentally, the 50 points has been set by Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan. <laughs> 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 um, I'm sure that's a game that we will discuss maybe at some point in time. But yeah, opening opening night of the 86-87 season, um, Doug Collins' first ever uh, game in charge of the Bulls and, it, and Mike scored 50 at MSG. So that was the record he was chasing <laughs> once they went into the fourth quarter. Yeah. Um, and I don't know whether you agree, but I thought he started chasing it a bit. Yeah, you know what? It's funny. It's a perfect uh, analogy or, or metaphor, whatever whatever word you want to use, for where Jordan was in that part of his career because he was chasing himself. He, he'd come back to the Bulls, uh, 32, or the pressure was unbelievable that for him to live up to and still be the same guy. The fact that he's trying to break his own record from when he was in, you know, even before his prime is so appropriate for that part of his career because he's the only guy he's chasing is his own legacy. And it's just a perfect sort of like situation to be in there. Just illustrates it perfectly. But you're right. Yeah. Yeah. I started to get a little bit, a couple of uh, questionable shots. Um, he got blocked, I think, three, at least twice in the quarter. Start yeah. yeah. It was, I remember two. Yeah. I remember him taking it inside right at the basket and he got blocked. And Starks, did, I think, no, I think Ewing blocked him and yeah. Starks managed to get it on a run out and That's take right. it down the other end and dunk. Yeah, nice, nice finish. And that's that's the thing. And when you watch that, that's when you realise the guy, he, his legs aren't there yet because he did not get anywhere near the elevation that you expect from Jordan, even in the fourth quarter. Prime, prime Jordan would, would just elevate over people and you, you could not... I mean, you, you didn't see him get blocked on a jump shot, on his drives very often. Uh, but this 95, Jordan, 32 years old, a little bit heavier, a little bit... Uh, you could see he just didn't have that explosive ability. Um, and even... In the first half, or at that stage in his career, he still had the, the first step. He hadn't lost that. He could still have that first explosive step past people, but at that point in his career, it was mostly for to get himself free for a jumper. He wouldn't always go all the way to the rim and finish like he would do, um, even in '93 when he was you know uh, becoming a veteran player. In '95 and then through on, he'd, he'd, he'd use that quick first step just to shake the space, get to his spot, and elevate for a jump shot. But in this fourth quarter. Those, yeah, it looked like he had some heavy legs going on. Yeah, I mean, he got there. He hit three three field goals in the quarter, got six points. The nicest probably was the one that got into the double nickel 55, where he kind of hit Starks with like kind of a stutter step, kind of yeah. hesitation almost. Yeah, and um, and and put the put uh, hit a jumper to to give him 55 on the night. Mm-hmm. And then some people might argue that he's biggest play wasn't one where he actually scored yeah yeah um which was which was really weird when you watch it back because you realize bill wennington is only in the game because three balls have fouled out yeah yeah and i was gonna i was gonna talk about that as well actually because yeah kukos uh longley and Purdue like fouled out and i didn't notice that until i watched it today 
Like it just—it's not something I pay attention to. All the times I watched it previously, and then when I watched it today and finished it off about an hour before, I, but I was thinking, wait a minute, three bulls fouled out. Oh my yeah. goodness! Yeah. I've, oh, I've, I've, I've even probably not at the time when I was a uh, wet beyond the years kid, but as I've watched it in latter years, it's never been lost on me that <laughs> Wellington was only in the game because Padu Longley and Q Coach had fouled out, especially yeah. given that situation. If if any of those, if, if if all three were available, yeah, I reckon they'd probably have gone with Q Coach because he's a shooter, he's a scorer. Yeah, um, so positioned where Wellington was, he, he probably would have either slashed the corner, spotted up, in which case Jordan wouldn't have been able to get that ball to him, and he might not have had the presence to cut to the rim. Like they always say, if you're a big man and your man leaves you, go to the rim because you'll be open. Yeah, yeah. well, it's this it's one of those whiffs. You never gonna know, but you can speculate. And 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 it, it worked to perfection again, a little bit like the last basket that he he, he scored himself. So he's driving on Starks, or, or Starks is having to back up and back up, and Mike kind of gives him a bit of a again a bit of a hezzy, and and Starks actually stumbles a bit, but in fairness to him, recovers really really well. He, he does, like he rolled his ankle, he, he bounced off his ankle, and it twisted, and that makes me cringe because we've all done that. And then he bounces right back and he bodies him up again. I'm like, that that was a recovery. That was incredible. And, and, I, and I will always say this about John Starks. And, and on my um, Instagram page, again, shameless pug time, my Instagram page is weekside underscore MJ. And yours is, Naeem. It is uh, baseline underscore Jordan. So, yeah. But anyway, back to our original <laughs> programming. Um <laughs> I, as much as on that page, I kind of have like gone, oh, John Starks getting scored on again, or John Starks in the wrong place at the wrong time, all this kind of stuff. But one thing that I've always been impressed with was the guy was just tenacious. Oh, man. He he gave all of his effort, and that play, for me, it, it was just, you know, I am going to body you up, I am going to D you up to the best that I possibly can, and even when I pretty much fall down and... <laughs> And Rom Ankle, I am still going to bounce straight back up, and yeah. I, you you are getting nothing easy against me. Oh yeah, I love man. I'm, a, I'm such a huge Starks fan. He was just oh man, I could yeah. I know that he was uh, he was going against Jordan, but even though <clears throat> even though he was he was an opponent, he was an enemy of Jordan. I, I I still loved him so much. Even back when I was a kid, he was one of my favorite players. He was so tough, so aggressive. He'd get in anyone's face. He'd fight anybody. He was uh, listed at six five. He was never more than six three. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, six five. Uh, and his, his his springs, his streaky shooting, his toughness. Yeah, I, he was the perfect Knicks player to me. I, even more than Ewing, he was he was the Knicks back in the day. Man. And just not scared. You saw a couple of occasions, especially down the stretch in this game. He's he's talking to Mike. He, you know, he, he he's just it's just in his nature. I'm going to talk to you. I don't care if it fires you up, whatever. This yeah. is who I am. I'm going to I'm going to talk to you. Yeah. And wherever the chips fall, the chips fall. I mean, a lot of people gave him, you know, a lot of shit over the fact that <laughs> he. He shot two for 18 or whatever it was in game seven of the 94 finals. Yeah, yeah. Uh, on the flip side, no one else was shooting that. No one else was shooting, man. And, so, and if it wasn't Sparks, you, you know, you if can it wasn't t- play, they wouldn't have even been at game seven. He, exactly. He, he used to play for the Knicks that series. Exactly. You know, you, you miss every shot you don't take, and no yeah. one else on that Knicks team was going to step up and take it. Yeah. So, 
fair play to him. And yeah, yeah uh, he was tenacious. And and even though this game ended the way that it did, so he bounced back up. And actually, the mistake—I say the mistake on the play was Starks had bodied Mike as best as he possibly could. Yeah, Ewing correctly probably yeah. came out to to double and and block Mike's path to the basket. Yeah, but by doing that, left. Bill Wennington in a whole key of space. Yeah, so open. Oh, and there was no one else. And the problem was that Ewing did, did absolutely the right thing. Jordan's got 55 points. You you make someone else beat you. You don't let Jordan go one-on-one. Jerry Sloan, you don't let him go one-on-one for the game winner. You, you get the ball out of his hands. The problem for the Knicks was that nobody rotated to cover Ewing, man. And like Ewing just did committed to stopping that drive or contesting the shot. They need a third player to rotate over to Wellington. There was enough time. Someone should have done that. Someone should have grabbed him. Uh, I think Anthony Bonner sort of made a half-hearted attempt as Ewing, as Wellington's already dunking the ball. He kind of mm. lightly wraps him up a little bit, a little gentle hug. But they're not going to call that anyway. So it's too late. Two points. And and yeah, so Wellington all of a sudden has become someone who probably sh- wouldn't have been in the game normally, and yeah. and now has just hit the game winner. <laughs> in um, in in this m- monumental matchup where Michael Jordan's just gone off for fifty five points, and it has to be said, the Knicks did still have three point two seconds to create something. And again, not really his fault. Like Starks got himself free Ooh. and curled curled off his defender, I think, by a screen. But on the pass that he came, he slipped. Yeah, and, uh, and and not only that, he slipped in the front court. And then as he slipped, managed to somehow bounce the ball off the inside of his foot, which put it into the backcourt. And uh, yeah, game game over. Like, oh. Bulls win. Bulls win. <laughs> <laughs> it's a terrible way to finish a game if you're the Knicks. Like, you don't want to even... You at least want to get a shot off. You don't want to finish on a turnover because like, there's nothing worse than when you've got a chance to get a look. I mean, they had, what, one point... 1.8 or something like that. A decent amount of time left to get a good look off easy. I'm, I'm pretty sure, I, 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 from memory, I think it was uh, Wellington dunked it with something like 3.1 or 3.2 seconds left. Oh. They'd gotten a basketball eternity to get yeah. a shot off. There was time. Oh, and, uh, and unfortunately, oh. Stark slipped just at the wrong moment. And uh, and actually, one of my favourite pictures from that game came as, a, as in the 0.8 seconds that were left after that. Yeah, um, I-, I remember seeing it in Slam back in 1995. But this picture, somebody had caught it just as when they inbounded the ball with that little amount of time yeah. left on the clock. And yeah. I th- I'm sure the commentary said, all the balls have to do is like tap it. Yeah. Um, but Jordan kind of grabs the ball and like holds it back over his head while he's in midair. Yeah. yeah. And um, and somebody caught it on camera. It's, it's, it's like one of my favourite pictures from yeah. that game. Um, it looked cool as hell, doesn't it? It just looks cool as fuck. Like it, obviously it's Mike, so he looks cool. But like the way, just the way he's holding it and looking down, he's about to land, and I'm like, that is a cool shot. Yeah. Um, again, shameless plug. I think I posted it within the last couple of weeks. <coughs> so uh, if anybody's listening and is curious about the shot that we're talking about, 
if uh, if you find my page and scroll back, as I say, within the last couple of weeks, that picture's in there. It's, it is, as I say, one of my favourite images, if not my favourite image from the whole game. So <laughs> we shall move on to our little scoring system that we do for these games in order to give them a bit of a ranking. Um, please say that you've done this name. You need, you've, you're all riled up and ready for <laughs> yeah. what you think this game should score. And we'll have a little, a, a, a tiny little debate, probably, over what we think it should do. So, game importance. What do you give it out of 10? I actually gave it an 8 out of 10. Because uh, for a couple of reasons. One is is the bootlegs. Any time they play in that, in that period is important. Because it's just... There's something to wait behind the matchups, but more so to the point that uh, the the commentators on my broadcast were saying that that was a potential first round matchup of that year, with the way the standings were and the way the records were headed, they could have met in the first uh, first round. And the fact that again, you know, historically dropping 55, fifth game back, game, you know, is it was such a huge game for the Bulls at that point in the in the season. See, I've gone six. Have you? <laughs> now, this could be we watch different feeds with different commentators. Now, <laughs> I'll freely admit, the Bulls commentators did not make any mention about potential playoff matchups oh. during what I was taught. So I took it as it was a regular season game with nothing particularly on the line at that point because yeah. there's still another 15 games to play in the season. Yeah. I did think, yeah, it's Bulls versus Knicks, rivals. And I did think to myself that at that point, the Bulls were not doing that well. They were not much above 500, which meant that for them, they needed to get wins. Um, but I didn't take into context, really, mainly because it wasn't mentioned about future playoff implications. Yeah. So therefore, I only gave it a six. But to be fair, I I didn't know I didn't have a clue about the playoffs uh, until that Bob Neon who Hugh Brown said it. So to be fair, I was in the same position as you. I didn't know until they actually uh, made made light of it. So yeah. So but, shall we agree? I went six. You went eight. Shall we agree that we'll give it a seven? Let's give it a seven. Yeah. Right. Fair enough. So seven for game importance. Right. Opponent strength. Yeah, I've given this one a nine, um, mostly because although the Knicks. You know, as I said earlier on, they, maybe they weren't quite as fearsome as they were in 94 or 93. Um, they were a nightmare for the Bulls with their just the size, the power. You know, they we saw what they did to the front line. Um, strong team, Eastern Conference champions, uh, confident. Although they weren't, uh, record-wise, they weren't quite as strong as they'd been in 93, 94. That Knicks team, you know, was headed for, well, really... It could have easily been an Eastern Conference Finals team or a Finals team if they'd uh, if they'd met the Magic. So you don't know. But to me, really strong team, uh, established, confident. You know, Pat Riley's been there for years. Ewing's is his prime or just over his prime. Strong team, nine out of ten. I gave them surprisingly nine out of ten. I nearly gave them ten, and then yeah, I was that they weren't as good as they were in ninety three, ninety four. Yeah. Um, so therefore, I kind of went no, no, a nine. So yeah, mate, I was, I was nine, and I can't really give any more reasoning for uh, what you gave there, which was an awesome team, strong, uh, great defensively, but just a tick less than the '94 team and probably the '93 team as well. So I think nine's a, a decent score. Right, MJ scoring. 
<laughs> it's got it's got to be a ten, really. Um, it, although he had higher scoring games, uh, my reason for a ten is the context. You know, he's uh, he's rusty, he's out of shape, he's got his baseball body. He played the game purely off talent, and he gives the one of the best defensive teams in the league a double nickel. That's unheard of. So that's a ten for me. Dude, I, yeah, I'd have given him an eleven if I could. Yeah. So yeah, uh, ten, and for the same reasons you've mentioned, you know, the context of fifth game back after nine on two seasons away from the game, and he goes and drops fifty-five on the next year. You know, it, it's it, it's a definite ten from me. So um, his physical condition for the game. Yeah, no, that was a tough one for me because he wasn't injured or ill. Um, you know, there was no ailments. But however, like we've covered, he was not himself. I've given it a three out of ten. Um, and obviously, for, for listeners, the higher the score, the more serious the physical condition was. So, flu game is a ten, for example, in case anybody's a bit confused about the numbers. So, three out of ten means that he wasn't ill to me, but he was not, you know, he wasn't 100%, uh, again, stamina wise, conditioning wise. Um, he had his baseball body. So, he had some some minor limitations, for, for at least for Jordan. So I gave him four, four out of ten. Um, much the same reasons, not not in basketball shape. Yeah, still trying to play NBA games whilst having his baseball conditioning. Yeah, so I've given him four out of ten because it's. I'll, I'll freely admit we put this together to try and score the games. It's really difficult to gauge when it comes to this because. For most games, you could probably give him like a one, and yeah. then unless he was like the flu game, when you're going to say right a ten, trying to get it anywhere in the middle is quite <laughs> difficult. Yes, um, and I was there thinking, right, so what would give him like a seven or an, an eight or something like that? So I I thought that four was a good figure. So I suppose we just need to decide here: are we going three or are we going four? Yeah, I'm happy with four. Awesome, right? Four and legendary status. Oh man, um, the only debate for me was whether it was a 9 or a 10 uh, and I think I'm going to have to give it a 10 because this game man, is you got to put it, it could be in your top 10 it could be in your top 5 Jordan game um, not only the context, not only that the fact that as we've discussed in depth now the, the comeback situation just at all time this game stacks up against any of his games from the prime years uh, just the fact that he could he could do this against that team I mean I, I don't honestly don't have much more to say about it to me it's a 10 because it, it can't be denied how, how incredible it is dude no no arguments from me I've got a big fat 10 written yeah. down um, against this it's it is the stuff that legends are made of yeah. like guy goes away tries another sport comes back you know in no time at all is doing things like this that, yeah. If that's not something that you give somebody a ten out of ten for, I, I really don't know. Yeah, yeah. What we do, so the other player that might have been able to do it would be Kobe, and even that is is not as guaranteed as the Jordan doing it. Uh, yeah, I, d- I think I, I think sometimes we misunderestimate the like the, the baseball effect. Yeah, on this because. Yeah, I could imagine Kobe doing it, but I can't imagine Kobe going and playing baseball during his layoff. So, yeah. therefore, he wouldn't have to retool from that baseball experience into basketball again. Um, and, yeah, it, it, it's it's that kind of thing that maybe back in 95 when I was 15, I didn't really 
understand or take into consideration and now I look at and think wow dude yeah. took that time off to go and retool for another sport and then came back and within five games of coming back was doing this yeah after what two weeks of practice yeah that. yeah a couple of weeks of practice and then I mean, in, into game action I mean it says it says everything about Jordan that we 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 just almost expected it I know I said before that nobody was really sure what to happen but he does this and you're kind of like well of course it's Michael Jordan why wouldn't he do that but that just shows how great he is because I think well how could someone do that like, like even the greatest athlete in the world to go and play something like baseball which is not a particularly intense sport you, you don't run that much in baseball and then practice for two weeks and then you do this yeah I, I run out of words for it <laughs> so all in all that gives him a game score out of a possible 50 of 40 that's a good one that's the second highest right second highest thing still um, trailing the Celtics game that we Ooh. did in episode one yeah of um, the Jordan Rewind so um, we we will see as things go on how these I, I, I fully expect that to be beaten at some point that yeah. Celtics game but for the time being it's still sitting atop of our, our leaderboard after four episodes so episode five Mm, that's your turn now, isn't it? My turn. And <laughs> I was thinking about this earlier today. Cool. And I was thinking, right, so we've got to number five and we still haven't had a, a finals game. Oh, okay. And where better place to start than the very first win that the Bulls had in the NBA finals? Oh, yeah. So <laughs> I, my choice is game two of the 1991 NBA Finals. Nope. Uh, LA Lakers at Chicago Bulls at the Chicago Stadium. Oh, that's a good one. That's a good one. <laughs> so, yeah, that's that's going to be the one that Naeem and I are going to con- go off and concentrate on and hopefully in a couple of weeks' time sit down and do all this again, uh, except talking about a different game. So, good um, we're going to end it now because... You've probably commuted to work and maybe back again from work listening <laughs> to this one. So, um, thank you for listening. We appreciate it. We will try and spread the word of this podcast through uh, social media. Naeem will and I will. And we did mention our um, Instagram pages. This podcast has an Instagram page. It's Jordan underscore Rewind. We'll put some clips up from this game and, and some other things. So, please check that out and give that a follow subscribe to this podcast if you're not subscribed to it already uh, we appreciate you listening and we'll catch you for the next one so it's goodbye from me and uh, you can say goodbye as well mate (laughs) goodbye thanks for having me all right cheers see you soon Bye. bye